Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello. Today, we're going to talk about the commitments of mind training. The commitments of mind training. These are uh, things to avoid, things we don't want to do when we're trying to live a life that's more in harmony. That's, that's what it's about, things we don't want to do when we're trying to grow. And I'm going to read to you a passage from The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodrote to start us off. This is what he says about the commitments of mind training. And I quote, As practitioners, we need a framework to support mind training. So we make commitments, samayas in Sanskrit, that help us to uphold the practice. This series of resolutions shows us when our actions align with practice or when they do not. If our actions consistently contradict mind training, our progress in mind training will be impeded. The good qualities we have developed will decline and the qualities of the practice we have yet to generate won't arise. These commitments protect and nurture our mind training. For example, if we plant a flower, we need protective parameters such as a good fence to prevent deer from eating it. If we leave the flower unprotected, deer may eat its first shoots so it doesn't grow at all. Or they may eat it when it's partially grown, causing the plant to wither. Or they will nibble it bit by bit, which will stunt its growth. The statements... In this section, bring a keen awareness to our actions and intentions and how they affect our practice and personal growth. Maintaining these commitments empowers us to live according to the mind training teachings. So that's what he has to say about this section we're talking about now. So I'm going to redo these 16 actions are 16 Lojong slogans, 16 actions to avoid that contradict mind training. And the Lojong slogans, uh, in case you don't remember, these are a series of aphorisms. And our intention is to learn them, learn what they are, and then be able to recall them because they're little kind of bite-sized teachings to be able to recall them so that when we need to manifest these teachings in our lives, we can because we remember to. So um, this is the first Lojong slogan we're going to talk about today. Lojong means mind training essentially. So it is continually train in the three universal principles, continually train in the three universal principles. So we want our actions to conform with three principles. One, they don't contradict the commitments of mind training. Two, they don't become confused. And three, that our mind training isn't biased. So commitments represent vows that we can take on the path. So when we say they don't contradict the commitments of mind training, we're talking about vows. We make these to support our practice. The point, though, is not to impress someone, and it's not to prove you can do it. It's not to prove anything. The point is that doing it helps in the same way that marriage vows are intended to strengthen the bonds of affection and loyalty, right? In the same way, Making formal commitments is intended to help us keep at it, basically. So I'm going to talk about commitments in the Buddhist tradition. Uh, The foundation 
of commitments in Buddhism is the refuge vow. And this is where one becomes Buddhist. One formally declares that they want to be a Buddhist. So it's sort of like uh, in the Christian tradition, it would be confirmation, I think. It's where we declare we're Buddhist. We declare that by stating that we are going to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha for refuge. These are called the three jewels, and they are, remember, Buddhism is full of lists. But these are the things we lean on, and we're choosing to lean on these. And in choosing to lean on these, that is how we are uh, stepping into our Buddhist views and practices formally. It's our commitment to the path. So the Buddha represents uh, the historical figure that started Buddhism, Siddhartha Gautama, but it also represents our innate nature for awakening, our believing in ourselves, our believing we can do it. Our true nature is basically good and awake and something we can rely on. And it also, to a, to a degree, the Buddha also represents our spiritual teachers, people that are helping us, people that are mentoring us and showing us the way. The Buddha sort of represents those two. And the Dharma is the teachings. So the Buddha is the, the beings that inspire us, and the Dharma is the teachings. We are relying on these teachings to train our minds. These teachings are something we can go back to again and again. And, and in this case, these mind training, these Lojong teachings are something we can be relying on. That's the whole point of these teachings is that when we need them, we remember them, when we reflect on them, when we, we rely on them. But any, any other Buddhist teaching is also falls under the Dharma. So if a person is cultivating the six perfections or doing chanting practice, any of these things fall under the Dharma, whatever helps you. So in this, in this case, we've been talking about Lojong, mind training a lot. And in this case, the Dharma does represent all these teachings we're talking about. Okay, so the Sangha are the, the Sangha is the spiritual community. It's the other people who are doing this with us. In the same way that uh, going to the gym to work out is a little bit easier for most people if they have a partner or a group, right? Going out to eat is a little bit easier if you have a group. Um, the gym was a better example because it's good for us and this practice is good for us. But the Sangha is the spiritual community. So my, my Sangha, I go to the Rime Buddhist Center in Kansas City, and that's my Sangha. The people that are there are my community. And just practicing with other people is really powerful. And those are people I can go to, especially if I'm struggling with my practice. But really, if I was struggling with anything, the hope is that I could go to those people in my Sangha, in my community, and talk about it. There's a story, the, the Buddha's assistant, Ananda, who is also his cousin, but that's not relevant to the story. His assistant, Ananda, who he was around for a lot of the teachings, and he went to the Buddha one day and he said, hey, I think that, I think that the community practicing with other people is like half of the spiritual path. 
And the Buddha said, no, Ananda, community is the whole thing. And I think about that sometimes. I think about that sometimes. Uh, It's said that we sort of pick up the habits of the people we spend the most time with. I know I do. And having a spiritual community means there are people you can meet and spend time with who are hopefully working on growth just like you are. And hopefully the plan is that you and the other people in the community can lift each other up, lift each other up. So that's what I really like about Sangha. I really like having one. And I think it's a really good and helpful thing because when there's other people with the same goals as us and we're surrounding ourselves with them, well, that that makes it a little easier. I believe that makes it a little easier. And so refuge vows, which is what I was talking about, serve as the foundation of other sets of vows. But I'm going to tell you about other sets of vows, and I'm just going to tell you what they are. I'm not going to go into great detail on them. Um, But Pradimoksha precepts are vows to try to do no harm. And Bodhisattva vows are vows to try to benefit other be- all beings, other beings and ourselves. So Pratimoksha, do no harm. Bodhisattva, create benefit. I've taken both of those. And then a third one is Vajrayana Samaya, which are vows of pure perception and ultimate wisdom. I really can't speak on those much because I haven't taken Samaya vows. But those are other vows that can be taken in the Buddhist tradition. And there's other ones as well. There are other ones as well. There's actually many different kinds of vows people take in Buddhism, in various branches of Buddhism. Um, But we're not talking about those today. Because we could easily easily talk about those for a long time. So we're going to put that aside. And... I'm going to read to you a quote from The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodrote. He says, and I quote, on this subject, he says, and I quote, To continually train in these every day and in all situations, remember you have these commitments. In other words, practice mindfulness and be vigilant about checking the state of your body, speech, and mind to make sure they are in harmony with the vows. If you see your actions are not in harmony, apply whatever mind training is relevant so that you can uphold the commitments you have made on the path. Bring this carefulness to everything you do under all circumstances. So I really like that. I really like that. It's just a reminder, hey, we need to we need to do good in the world, right? We need to do good in the world. So the second one, of these, what are we doing? Three universal principles. The second one is don't become confused or don't allow our conduct to become confused. And for this, I'm just going to read to you a passage from the book. I'm going to go into another passage from the book. Sorry for doing that. But um, this is really better than anything I could say. So when we talk about not allowing conduct to become confused, Kentrell Lodrote says, and I quote, When we truly understand ultimate nature, we become even more conscientious of our actions and how we affect others. We become acutely aware of karma, how every situation is a cause that produces a result. 
our conduct becomes even more careful and refined. If someone goes out of their way to show off their realization through a lack of concern for conventionally accepted behavior, that is an automatic sign that something isn't right. Somewhere along the way, they became confused. You might wonder why a person would think they could display realization by acting strangely. It's probably because they've heard of crazy wisdom. Sometimes a truly realized master will see that they can benefit others by acting unconventionally, so they engage in what's called crazy conduct. These beings have already demonstrated signs of realization. If someone pretends to be a practitioner at this level, it not only isn't beneficial, but it can also immediately be harmful to themselves and others. Such conduct is antithetical to genuine practice. That's why as practitioners of mind training, it's important to guard against conduct that is confused. Uh, I want to add, it could also come up that, you know, we have some, we are receiving some of the great benefits of our mind training, and we could start to think to ourselves, oh, I've got it all figured out. I'm there, right? And, well, I don't think that would serve us very well. I don't think that would serve us very well at all. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful. So the third of the universal principles is don't allow the mind training to become biased. What does that mean? It means we do not pick and choose when we're going to use the mind training teachings. They're there for us and we want to use them. So it's, it's especially, I think it's easier to remember the teachings when we're suffering than when things are going well. I think that's, that's easier when you're like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Oh, no. And then we reflect and we realize a teaching we can think about. Then that'll come up. But a lot of the time when things are going great, we don't, we don't think about the teachings at all. And we need them in, in both cases. And you may be the opposite of what I've just said. You may be someone who thinks about the teachings only when they don't need them. That's definitely a prevalent thing too. So you only think about the teachings when you're feeling great. And well, that's not really helping that much, right? Because we need them when we need them. So those are the three universal principles. And so now I will move on to talk about the next of the Lojong slogans on this list. Again, this is a list of things to avoid. And this one is, change your intention, but act naturally. Change your intention, but act naturally. So, mind training transforms our intention. These practices we're doing are taking us from having our lives dominated by self-cherishing, selfishness, to having our minds dominated by love and compassion. This is a profound change, a profound change to us. And, but where can this bring us to trouble? Where can this bring us to trouble? I'm going to read to you another passage from The Power of Mind by Kentro Lodrote. He says, and I quote, As our mind changes, we should act naturally. There's no need to show off how we've changed. It isn't necessary to act differently or alter our personality or stand on a pedestal and look down on others. If, after practicing mind training, our friends and our family can no longer relate to us, that is a problem. Sometimes when we begin to practice, 
we feel a surge of love and compassion, but then the ego jumps in and wants others to know about our great qualities. So we behave in ways that promote our accomplishments. For example, in the midst of an ordinary conversation, we might blurt out, Oh, poor things. May all sentient beings be happy. While we may be practicing Tonglen or doing other mind trainings in that moment, it isn't appropriate to say things just so others can hear and admire us. That's the thing. And uh, there's going to be more of this in these actions to avoid, actually. We don't want this to become something that feeds our ego. Because that can bring us other problems down the road. That's, that's not serving us. The point of this is not to prove we're great. And, of course, we wouldn't say out loud that we're doing this to prove we're great. But we might be. We might be. So, we want to be careful about that. We want to be really careful about that. So, the next one is don't speak about others' defects. Don't speak about others' defects. We want to learn how to use our words in a positive way, founded in love, kindness, and gentleness. By resolving not to speak negatively of others, we can come to understand how much we think negatively, because we do a lot. The, the central point of mind training is love and compassion. So how we speak of others should reflect those qualities sort of falls under gossip, right? You know? Do you know how lazy that person, that coworker is, right? Why? Who's that serve? Who does that help? No one, right? And so it's something to be careful about. Something to be careful about. Sometimes we take a real satisfaction in in talking about others' defects and that's really just trying to put ourselves above them, I think. I can't imagine what else that is. So it's a real way of looking down. It's just another way of looking down on others. Our words, again, we want our words to be founded in love, kindness, and gentleness. And when they're not, then we have something to work on. So the next one is don't concern yourself with others' affairs. Don't concern yourself with others' affairs. And that's, I mean, that's sort of tied to speaking out about others' defects, maybe. We want to overcome our habit of focusing on what's wrong with other people. Because when we focus on what's wrong with other people, what we're really doing is still trying to put ourselves above them. And that's a form of self-cherishing, which again, doesn't help us. Pride really makes us want to focus on the shortcomings of others, especially focusing on the shortcomings of others instead of our own. And it really stops us from seeing reality clearly. And not only that, but also focusing on the flaws of others gets in the way of appreciating their good qualities in the same way that focusing on uh, whatever the hardest part of our lives is gets in the way of appreciating the good things, right? In the same way, focusing on what we what we perceive as the flaws of others uh, gets in the way of appreciating them and loving them. Of course, of course it does. And showing them compassion. Of course it does. So I'm going to read to you uh, another quote from the book, The Power of Mind by Kendra Lodrote. He says, and I quote, so how do we break this insidious habit of fixating on other people's flaws? Every time you catch yourself judging another person, Stop and look at yourself. 
do it immediately. Think, this person may not even have this flaw, but I have the habit of seeing flaws in others, and the flaws I see are a reflection of my own mind. Or, think to yourself, it's only because of my ignorance, pride, and disturbing emotions that I notice flaws like this in others. Then, practice whatever mind training is appropriate for the situation. In this way, you can break the habit of seeing flaws in others and replace it with a habit of seeing good in them. You'll be rewiring your mind, changing impure perception into pure perception. So next, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about what order we should do things. So this next slogan is train in the most obvious afflictive emotion first. Train in the most obvious afflictive emotion first. So we all have different things we need to work on. And when we learn more about how our minds work, we can really start to see how how much we're controlled by disturbing emotions, how much we're pulled around. And people struggle with different things. Of course, some people struggle a whole lot with anger and some with lust and some with pride and some with selfishness, all these disturbing emotions, we have different ones that we struggle with the most. And so that's, that's something to think about. We want to think about where we, where our work really lies, where we have the most we need to do. I, uh, personally, I have struggled a lot with selfishness. I've been a bit of a taker in my life. And so that has been my disturbing emotion to work on, but you, you, your results may vary. You have probably something else you struggle with. So what the teachings are advocating is that we choose the thing we struggle with the most and work on that. We can learn to see the different situations that where our disturbing emotions arise. And we can also pay close attention so that we know when we need to use our mind training skills. And if we're diligent and consistent, we will see our habits change. We really will. So I'm going to read to you an example uh, from the book, The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodrote. He says, this is an example of uh, dealing with this. He says, and I quote, for example, if anger is your main antagonist, focus on anger. Reflect on how much suffering it creates in your life. Think about how it makes you feel and how it causes you to make mistakes when it carries you away. Look at how anger harms, causes harm to yourself and to others. Resolve to overcome it. Generate relative bodhicitta with this thought. May the anger of all living beings be gathered here within my own anger. May my experience of anger take the place of the anger of others so that no living being ever has to suffer from it again. Then, generate ultimate bodhicitta by looking at the nature of anger and recognizing its empty essence. Don't focus on the reasons you feel angry. That will just feed the affliction. Instead, look at the anger itself. If you can recognize the empty nature of the emotion, it will dissolve. And... So after that passage, he, he, rem, he lets us know that we can do this in our, in our formal meditation as well. So he goes on to say, 
For formal sessions, bring to mind a situation that stimulates the feeling, then antidote it with each and every one of the mind training practices. Imagine yourself successfully applying the practices in different situations. Reflect in this way again and again. In between sessions, regularly make vows to succeed in mind training whenever the emotion arises. Every time, every time you feel even a flickering of that negative mental state, apply relative and ultimate bodhicitta. And before you enter a situation that you know will exacerbate the emotion, remember the mind training ten, uh, methods. Set your intention to apply them and go in prepared. It's also important to do purification practices, gather accumulations, and make aspirations. By doing all of this, you will hit the emotion from every direction until eventually its power to affect you is weaker than the remedy. So that's that's where things change for us. We keep bringing these methods, and if we do it in this way, we're going to be less less controlled by our disturbing emotions, and that's what this is about. That's what this is about. That is going to be it for today. Uh, as I said, there are 16 of these. We have gone through the first five. And so I'm going to come out with a part two soon where we will go through. It may be three parts or it may be two parts. I'm not sure yet. But we've gone through the first five of actions to avoid and there are 16. And we will go through all of them, okay? So thank you for listening. I hope this talk has been helpful. Thank you for listening and have a good day.